Um, you disappeared. Oh, back again now. Yeah, the, the re what happens is on these recordings is Skype lets us communicate directly until we record. And then they change it so that you talk to them and I talk to them and they sort it all out, put a video out and put us back together again through their server. It's a bit and Star that, Trek. Uh, <laughs> yeah, aren't we lucky we've got both uh, Scotty and um, uh, the pointy-eared fellow uh, right here with us. <laughs> Scott and I don't know where he is. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy is his name. Dr. Spock, the pointy-eared dude, but the he but said, the engineer was Scotty. That's right. Okay, so wisdom and engineering together. Now we've got a team. <laughs> anyway, back to talking about um, karma. What we normally understand is, uh, and you can see this, and it, we use it all the time. An action will give a reaction. That's basically what the point is. But what it becomes magically is the law of comma, which says basically dividing things into good and bad, that if you give a good uh, action, it will give a good result. And if you do a bad action, it's going to give you a bad result. That's what they teach. And every five or ten-year-old can walk by and says, oh, no, I can get away with it. I can smoke that cigarette in the toilet, and you're not going to catch me. Mm -hmm. Right? And so the old rule makers come back and scratch around a while, and they will say then, okay, good action gives good results, and bad action gives bad results, and they add the addition no matter what. No matter how long it takes, you're going to get caught and punished by, and that by is an interesting question, because the guy who's trying to write this rule, he does not hold that authority himself, because that's just a dude that's saying that. This is where the law of karma comes from, is the idea that uh, good action gives good results and bad action gives bad results no matter what. That no matter what is the problem. This is where we get the idea that something, even if it dies, it's got to be reborn, that the common machine eventually will dig you up out of the ground just to kick your ass. That's the whole point of that story. Why? because we're trying to teach uneducated, ignorant children how to behave. But we're doing it with a stick rather than the carrot. Well, actually, the carrot is always dangled. You, you've, you've seen the story or you've seen the drawing of the, uh, the donkey with a stick out in front of him that's, that is somehow tied to the wagon so that as he goes along trying to get that carrot, the wagon moves along, moving the carrot also, therefore he never gets to the carrot. So that's one thing, the carrot, the promise, but you never get the results. 
However, the stick, that one is the one that's used because it can be used. And so this is what the church and society and the government and the police, it's their business to use the stick. Why? Because they really can't count on some cosmic stick doing its job. Perhaps the cosmic stick takes too long. I mean, after all, even God talks about hell in the sense of after you're dead, or maybe, I don't know why they have that idea in Christianity, that hell is something that happens after you're dead, because the Buddhists know that we go through it all the time. <laughs> Do you think that would have been Jesus' original thinking? That's actually a completely different discourse. We could go off in the direction of, how enlightened Jesus is, or was, and how wrong Christianity is, because they don't listen to anything he has to say. They're too high. They're too busy polishing him off and putting him up on high shelf. Now the Protestants, they've got a trick though. They want to grab him off of that uh, crucifix so that they can put him up in the sky. But the Catholics are too smart for that because they'll grab him by the foot and drag him back down and nail him back up on that cross. <laughs> but you see, neither one of them see Jesus as a teacher. One of them sees Jesus as a, as a uh, crucified uh, Savior who is punishing himself for our sins so that we don't have to punish ourselves for our sins. And the other crowd sees Jesus like a as an eternal Savior way up there in the sky someplace. But neither one of them sees Jesus as a companion teacher sitting on uh, the porch with us, having a conversation about way, the way to live. And that's what Jesus was trying to do. He was trying to teach people how to live. And so much of what he had to say was the same thing as the Buddha had to say. It's remarkable some of the things he has to say. That's what, you could also go so far as to say any good PhD program in Buddhism should have a course on Jesus. So are, are, are there any of the... Uh... Uh, Christian denominations um, uh, they teaching in that way? There have, been, there have been people who have tried, but they don't really have the schools or the, uh, uh, the skills to do it. But there have been attempts. But it's always slapped down. Because Christianity uh, has a completely different view of Jesus. He's Lord and Savior to them. Not a wise old fat funny man. So it's going from he will say you to you have to save yourself, but I'll help you along the way. I won't even help you. I'll just point the way. Here, I'll give you a map. <laughs> yeah. I'll well, show you handy. how to read maps. <laughs> I'll show you a map and show you how to read maps, but I am not going with you. I am not going to show you the way the whole show and the reason for that is because I cannot crawl inside your head to do the necessary repairs. Only you can do that. I know. I used to try to crawl inside people's heads. 
It's really sloppy in there, and I don't really get much done. (laughs) 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 So, anyway, back to our talk on comma, or on action, or on cause and effect. The Buddha could see, and in fact, I think that uh, that's the point, that it's so obvious that there is a cause and effect. The wind blows, the door closes. Now you can see that that actually took a little bit of figuring out for humanity, but over 10,000 years we already gotten used to understanding that if you pull the trigger, that you're going to get the action. Okay? Um, and yet, uh, the the old the whole idea of good action getting good results and bad action getting bad results is quite magical. So let's go through this and look at it for a bit. Okay, the first thing that we have to look at is is that um, what determines a good action. So the example would be I um, invest in the stock market, and then the stock market goes up and I sell it for a profit. Therefore, that was a good action. But if I invest in the stock market and the stock market falls and I sell at a loss, then I'll say that the action of buying was a bad action. In this regard, often the results of the, ba- of the action itself and its validity is determined by the results. The result of the action determines the value of the action. Now let's look at another kind of action, and that is on the sport field, they make a touchdown or a goal or something, and in the process, the flag goes out on the play. The penalty flag is thrown. The whistle is blown. Mm -hmm. Half the people stand up and boo. They don't like that whistle. The other half, they stand up and cheer. Now, was that a good call or a bad call? Now, I'm not asking, is it a correct call that can only be determined maybe by video, but even then the video needs to be at exactly the right set of angles so that we can all agree what's correct. We're not going to be able to do that probably even with instant replay. So, the whole point that we're making here is many actions are mixed. Some people like it, some people don't. Or they're mixed in the way of sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't. And that sometimes I like it and sometimes don't are only within a second of each other. Ah, so this whole idea of liking and not liking has a great quality in the, in the control of what's good and bad. And so all of this stuff is back wrapped back up with Paticca Samuppada or the way the mind works. Because what happens generally if there is no wisdom, in other words, we're just ordinary people operating in an ordinary way, living our lives in an ordinary reptilian way, in the sense of operating by instincts. Why? Because operating with our frontal cortex through wisdom takes a bit of work. We've got to be up for it. Most of us live most of our lives just following the habit or following the patterns. 
a lot of people learn to drive that way. They've driven this same road a hundred times, you know, every day they go, they go, they go. I know how to drive this road. That's when they're going to have an accident because they're not watching where they're going. They assume they know, and so it goes on automatic pilot. And then something new will happen. A ditch digger comes in the way, or a kid runs in the road, or a football comes through the windshield. All kinds of possibilities that make it new, change. But our pattern, or let us say the reptilian brain, works on a set of old patterns. In other words, it's got to be done that way. Therefore, I'm going to keep doing it that way, even if new information comes in. The wisdom is, is let it go like that, but you be very careful, because when new information comes in, we're going to have to change the way we do things. So here's where Anitra comes in. If Anitra comes in, and we are wise to it, then we don't go into the direction of Dukkha. We will go instead in the direction of it doesn't matter. It is not my business. It doesn't belong to me. It's anatta. So we have that triple, uh, that trilokana of anicca, dukkha, anatta. Things are happening, changing all the time. Are we going to be there for it or not? If we are not, then we're going to follow the old pattern. And the old pattern sets up like this generally is, is that if I, if I have a feeling of liking something, then that means that I'll want it. And if I like it a lot, and want it a lot, then I'll think that it's good. Okay? So in that regard, we can say a, a particular drug name. And some people, when they hear that word, they'll say good or bad, depending upon their own experience with it, rather than a full analyzation. Okay? So we go for good or bad, and that that good or bad is based in feelings, not based in evidence. So if I like it, it must be good. And if I don't like it, it must be bad. And if I like it, I want it. This is real ignorance. The right, the right way to do it is, if I like it, let's look at what's going on. Why do I like it? Is it really wholesome? Let's do some investigation. And if I don't like something, then let's investigate what's going on because now I have, because I've woken up, I don't have to get angry because I don't like something. I don't have to uh, haul off even if I don't slap the kid. I don't even have to haul off if I'm not angry. I cannot like what the child does, but I can still respond to that child with wisdom. And that may, in fact, be humor. But when we're ignorant, we follow a certain pattern. Okay, if that's the case, then what we're really looking at for karma is that it has to do with the cause and effect. And if the cause is wisdom at the point of contact, then we're going to have a better solution to the problem rather than following the old familiar um, reptilian, uh, let's go to war kind of uh, uh feeling system that we generate quite quickly. So this is what we mean then by by watching what's going on. So let's get back to that whole point about the penalty flag got strong. What Buddha says is in fact this is what we mean by mixed comma, a mixed reaction. That things in fact are generally mixed, that wholly by itself 
with all ways of looking at it, it's very rare to find an action that is totally good. But if there were something like that that was totally good, or good in this circumstance, then it's going to have good results fairly immediately. For instance, I'm hungry, I eat a meal, and now because I've eaten, I'm not starving. I'll live, I'll survive. I did something good and I got a good result. Okay? Cause and effect within a certain period of time, or let us say a short, but you can see the little cause effects all along that you ate, you, you ate the food, which means now you can digest it. Because it's being digested, now you can get the energy from it. So it's still all cause and effect along the line that there is no gap or time lag. But the people want a gap or a time lag so that they can then hold to their belief that a bad action will eventually give you bad results. And they teach that all over the place. Even down to the point of you can't even kill a fly. Because if you do, that fly is going to someday kill your butt too. Or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> the giant. So uh, this whole idea of uh, that guarantee really is going quite against the whole teaching of the Buddha because the Buddha, you know, he called himself Tatata, or actually Tathagata, which actually means, uh, the word Tathata means here, this. This is it. Uh, the original translations used the word thus as a translation, so Tathata got translated into thus gone one. And when people hear, thus gone one, it makes no sense. What does that mean? Trying to figure it out. Well, what they're doing is they're taking, you know, that Polly, bit by bit, and translating it into English. So the word gone is very similar to our word come. Come and go, they work together. So it means basically the same thing. So it actually means the one who has come thus are the one who has gone to the thus. And what is thus? This. That's thus. <laughs> this. This is it. This moment. This right moment. now. This present moment. This, this here now. This is what we mean. It's this. Not something in the past or in the future. Not something outside. It's this. Not of that anymore. So the... The one who has come to this is a better translation. It's almost understandable that way. But in our language, we would say closer to be here now or in the present moment. And we understand it more that way. But uh, in, the in the language of the Tathata, in the Tathagasa, everybody knew exactly what it meant. The problem with Buddhism today is we don't know what Pali meant. And, it, and the language itself has been lost, and that the ones who rediscovered the language and started putting it together weren't Buddhists at all. They had no clue about what the Buddha was teaching. They were university professors from Oxford, and they were Christians. And so we have all of this mm -hmm. Christian language into the Western Buddhism that the Asians don't even have to put up with. 
interesting. I heard <coughs> someone talking about um, <coughs> suffering the other day, and they said <coughs> for a long time the term didn't really sit well with them. And uh, he's 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 sort of much prefers struggle. That's even too harsh. You think that's too harsh? Mm-hmm. It's not a struggle. It's unsatisfying. So we're referring to dukkha. That's what I mean. So uh, dukkha being suffering is a big deal. But that's mm. what the, that, that's what the Catholics want Jesus to do. If he suffers enough, then his suffering will help us. Therefore, we really want him to suffer. Yeah. All right. Really good. Right. Got to nail him up. Yeah. So, uh, the the this business of suffering. Uh, when we look at the, the actual Pali in reference to other languages, an important point is, is that Dukkha has an opposite, and that opposite is Sukha, and that is translated as if they had nothing to do with each other. Dukkha is translated as suffering, and Sukha is translated as sexual pleasure. Neither one of them are correct. And, neither, and they're not opposites like that. But what we could say to make them opposite so that we understand it better is one is satisfying and the other one is not satisfying. One is good enough and the other one is not good enough. That's what dukkha and sukha means. I don't see any struggle in there. You could be dissatisfied and you're not struggling. If you are struggling, mm -hmm. then you are in dukkha, but you don't have to struggle to be uh, dissatisfied. Mm -hmm. so, it's not, so it's not as big, and yet we see all of these words as really, really big words, meaning big events. An example would be using the word immersion in the suttas. Okay, because immersion sounds like a really, really big word. How about exalted? Or perhaps the word bliss. You see, these are all really, really highfalutin words that we have attributed to the Pali, when in fact the reality of the situation is, is that the Pali was a real language, talked to real people, and they really got it. And here all of these Westerners are trying to take a westernized version of and western translations of this Dhamma, trying to make sense out of it, and they work, wind up working really hard at it and not getting anywhere. Your audio has got quite bad actually, Dharma, Arthur. Um, I don't know whether it's connection or whether it's, uh, how is it now? It might be me. No, it's not really any better. It's okay. It's just, it's, uh, sort of very, a lot of buffering. Not, not as in computer buffering, but buffeting, buffeting. That's the okay. Uh, if it's the microphone itself, I can do something about it. If it's the internet, we'll have to kind of put up with the connection. 
All right. Do you think it's the microphone itself? It could be. All right. I can unplug it and replug it in and see if that does anything. How is it, by the way? Is it good now? Is it good now? Is it good it, now? That's a bit better. That's, a, that's better. That is better. Okay. All right. We'll leave it like that. Or let me unplug it. Keep talking to me, though, because I would, yeah, you're not helping Okay. Is it good now? <laughs> give me a percent uh, or give me from 1 to 10, okay? Give me a 1 to 10. That's How about 5. 5. five. Okay. How is it now? Uh, How is it now? 6. Okay. How is it now? Uh, five or six. Too hard. You're making this really hard for me. How's it now? Seven. Okay, let's leave it there, all right? That'll do. That'll do. That'll do. It's That'll good do. enough. <laughs> okay. Yes, that's what we're getting at, is that dukkha is often misunderstood. Also, when we use the word comma itself, the word comma is one of the easiest words to translate, and yet that one was one that winds up not being translated, and therefore winds up being, uh, let us say, having more value than it actually deserves. All it means is behavior. So you could go so far as to say good behavior gives good results, and bad behavior gives bad results. And immediately you can say, wait a minute, that's not true. Because I can see Donald Trump getting away with all kinds of bad behavior. And we don't know what the future is going to be. He may be elected a second term. Who knows what's going to happen? Okay, so we cannot say that good behavior always gives good results and bad behavior always gives bad results because we can see many places that bad behavior gets good results if you could get away with it. So would you say that even taking Trump as an example, <clears throat> he can behave in a certain inappropriate way and maybe even get positive results from his point of view? Yeah. Um, would would it be fair to say that over time it'll end up biting him in the bum? We don't know. He may be dead before then. We don't know what kind of payoff that he's going to get. But in fact, that's where all of that came from. Was So let's put it this way. Let's narrow things down to the village. And you've got a village bully. And then when he grows up, he becomes the head man or the warlord of the village. And he'll do anything he wants to do, and so he winds up with a really, really nice house, and everybody in the village hates him, but they keep sucking up to him, giving him a nice life, and then when his old age, he dies. And then they say, okay, well now it's time for the common machine to come and give him his just reward because we wouldn't do it. There's where it comes in. It come, Actually, you could say that hell 
is a kind of revenge. Mm -hmm. That's what it's mostly used for by Christianity. They used to think that they themselves were in danger of hellfire, but in the past 50 years they converted to completely, no, you're a Christian now, you're going to heaven, everybody else is going to hell. Let's go make sure that we can rub it in so that they know how bad it really is for them, how bad they're going to get it. <laughs> a good, a good, good conscription uh, tactic. Yes, in fact, it's built in fear in that regard. But that's the whole point of teaching the children. So you could say that hell is just the same as the teaching a bad action gets bad result. Only you don't know how bad we're going to make it for you. <laughs> Let me tell you so you'll know. <laughs> and so this is what happens with this mentality is that it puts a day late time in it because hell they say doesn't happen until after you're dead so go ahead and misbehave all you want to and you'll get away with it especially if you go suck up to the boss just in time okay so why suck up to the boss and 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 have a baptism as an infant or even a baptism as a uh, as a teen why don't we do a deathbed confession? That way we can have all of it. We can go do anything we want to do mm -hmm. and then get forgiven for it. Well, isn't that what the Christians are doing now? I mean, look at the politics that they're playing. Catholics have always done it, haven't they? Mm -hmm. All right. So here's one that's the same thing. And that is that I had a conversation with a Muslim guy, a friend of mine, and um, he was saying that the um, that there are a lot of people in his town that uh, they may not ascribe to or know anything about ISIS or ISIL, but that they do have the mentality of Islamic or the Islamicism in the sense that uh, Islam is destined to take over the world, and it's my job to make that happen, no matter how many people I hurt. Okay? World domination, Islamic style. And so the question to this guy is, oh, well, um, killing all of these people isn't that kind of against the Quran? And the guy will answer, oh, well, it's because I'm doing it for Allah, so Allah will forgive me. Oh, sounds like Christianity to me. Mm -hmm. Allah will forgive me for going out and harming people because I'm doing it in his name. And so finally the retort to that is, which is better? to actually go according to the way that we know is correct, to go according to the way that we know that Allah would approve of, and get the approval of Allah without needing to get forgiveness for what we've done. Alright, if we haven't done anything wrong, we don't need this forgiveness, and we're beginning to understand this forgiveness 
this, you know, is pretty wishy-washy that it may not be what it's all cracked up to be. So all of this winds up being magical stories. That's where we got started with this. This is all magic. Mm-hmm. Where we need to draw the reality to it is, is that there is cause-effect. And that good and bad is a decision that we have made based upon our feelings. And so let's go a little bit deeper into that, back to the very source of it. In in, uh, uh, Genesis, there's the story of Adam and Eve, right? Christians, they love that story. It's got all kinds of actors and scenes and talking snakes and poisoned apples and, wait a minute, yeah, poisoned apples, all kinds of stuff. And guess what? They get to blame it on the women. (laughs) She made me do it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) She made me eat that thing. (laughs) She hung it out in front of me. She knew I'd have to bite on it. It's not the voices after all. (laughs) okay but there is a moral to the story and I didn't even understand this until I got it from Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa because you see he's Asian he's taking the story as uh, as the actual story in the Bible without the uh, the 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 Christian baggage that comes along with the story Mm -hmm. and so we look at it in the sense of like an Aesop fable and what I mean by that is the East, the fables always had a moral. By the way, you're cutting yourself off now at your eye level. Sorry. There, that's better. All right. So we um, <laughs> what we do is is that we uh, we go by these this magical system of thought that we learned as a child expecting the magic to work and it doesn't and that's why things are unsatisfactory in general so back to the story of of Adam and Eve they in fact are eating what did they eat certainly it wasn't an apple what they ate was the fruit of that tree well, here, what we mean, uh, eating a fruit in all languages, that idea of getting the fruit, it means to get the results. Doesn't mean an actual piece of fruit from an actual tree. It means the result. Okay, the result of something. Like the fruit of our labor, or the fruit of the loom, or the fruit of my loins. This is what we mean by fruit. Not necessarily the kind that you can eat. So when we say then, okay, they ate of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, which means now they have to uh, suffer the consequences or they have to put up with the fact that they have knowledge of what's good and what's bad. Well, where did this knowledge come from? Some people think that, oh, that's knowledge that only God should have. <clears throat> Another way of looking at it is, no, that's just shit they made up. This is good, I like it. This is bad, I don't like it. Good and bad is a judgment of the mind. 
and we can find each other to agree with that. And when you agree with me that that's good, now we both can be happy and satisfied and comfortable with the fact that we know what goodness is. We're in fact, wait a minute, maybe we don't. Maybe all we have is a minor little consensus. Maybe if we bring the guy from across the street over and ask him, he will say, is not good. So this is a value judgment. The whole quality of judge, of good and bad, this is in the Bible. It says, judge not, lest ye not be judged. Well, guess who we're judging most of the time? Ourselves. Right. And so if we're judging ourselves, guess what? We're under and we're subject to being judged. And so we can look at who gets judged and who's not. But the main, the main point is that once we get, decide what's good and bad, that means we no longer live in a paradise because we can always find something wrong with our paradise. And if we take that piece that is wrong out of, or bad out of our paradise, then we wind up having less and less and less of a paradise. And so that's how Adam and Eve... If we take that bit that is wrong out... Pardon? Sorry, did you say if we take that bit that is wrong with our paradise out, then we end up having less and less of a paradise? Is, is, yes, is that the exactly. Phrase mm -hmm. And so in that our regard... World our world shrinks, and not only does it shrink, but we're throwing more and more paradise out. Because it ain't good enough. Right. Yeah. Okay. Ah, so, what that means is, is that Adam and Eve threw themselves out of the Garden of Eden. And they didn't have to take a step. Because what they did was they changed their mind. They changed their attitude. It once was a paradise, but now that I know how to find fault with it, it's not a paradise anymore. It's the woods. It's the jungle. Mm. It's not a garden. It's a hell. Because look how many things I can find wrong with it. Mm. And so this is how we live our lives. Do? Destroying our own garden, destroying our own paradise, simply because we're judging it, it, it ain't good enough. Mm. And that it's not inherent in our behavior at all. To make these judgments. To make, well, that there is good behavior and that there is bad behavior, close the door end of sentence, because there's always extenuating circumstances. Mm -hmm. Okay? An example of that was, oh, gosh, there's so many. Let's use this one. There was once a movie I saw to where there was a bunker, and that uh, Hitler was in that bunker, and that someone brought in a suitcase uh, full of explosives and put it in the room, and, and Hitler happened to have gone to the bathroom when that thing went off. And so he survived for a few more months. 
which made the war last a few more months. So I ask you, was it a good thing or a bad thing that they put that bomb in that bunker? Because that was the action. It was a good thing. It's just unfortunate it didn't get him. <laughs> well, it depends upon whose side you're on. If you were well, Hitler's granddaughter, you would have said this, what you just said. It's a matter of you're taking a position. Uh, but it would depend on degree of benefit, you see. Who, who uh, what, what benefits well, most people? What's this whole idea about Panatipada, of not taking life? That you're saying, okay, it's okay to take life if I can get some benefit out of it. It's okay to go around and kill if I can get some benefit out of it. Is it yeah, but is it not less of an evil? Lesser evil. Uh, who's making what called evil? I, in fact, intentionally avoided that word. I was just using good and bad. Now what we do is we polish bad to the point that it shines like evil. Okay, more satisfactory, less satisfactory. All right, okay, but so, but what you're saying is, is that there is a use for killing, if you can get the benefit yes. out of it. So yes. all we need to do is to teach our young men to sing the patriotic song, Rural Britannia, or the Star Spangled Banner, or um, My Country Tis of Thee, get them all patriotic up, so that they begin to believe that it's a good thing to go to war and kill people. On the whole, I'd say it's not. Well, that's exactly what happened in the guy that carried that suitcase into the bunker. Was He was indoctrinated that it was okay to kill Hitler and everybody else that was in that bunker. So what would you... What, okay, so if I'm devil's advocate... What would you have done in that situation if you knew that Hitler was going to do what he was going to do? I would have been in you, Thailand not even knowing about it until I saw the movie 30 years later. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have never been near that <laughs> I would have never been near that bunker. So you, and that's in fact the question that you ask is very similar to that question that you see the Christians asking all the time, what would Jesus do? Yes, it would, Jesus wouldn't do any of this stuff. He wouldn't have gotten himself into the situation you got yourself into. <laughs> he wouldn't have been so stupid to try to have to get out of that situation. Yeah. Um, hmm. All right. These are, so, extraordinary, uh, these are extraordinary circumstances, though. They're not ordinary. Uh, but we can call it extraordinary circumstances so that we can get what we like. You, may, can, you may have decided that. Yeah. Except that. But you may have decided that if I take this action, it's going to cost, probably cost me my own life, life, but thousands, perhaps millions of people's lives will be saved as a consequence. 
Yes, I know they make movies out of that. But in general, it never happens. Let's let's talk about how we can live our lives now without having to get put in a situation of having to give my life for thousands of other people. I don't even think that that was the situation Jesus was in or anybody even thought about it that way until years after. He didn't go... He didn't go get hung on the cross because he was expecting to be the savior of humanity. Uh, Well, if he did get hung on the the cross at all. (laughs) That's the story, though. That's the story that's told about him. But the likelihood of that being the true story is not high. Um, and so this is what makes it magical that in fact that justifies Jesus' crucifixion because otherwise it's hard to justify why did our dude get hung up well in fact that's actually quite reasonable to understand that and that is, is that he misbehaved himself in the temple he could have gone to the head priest and explained the situation. That's what Buddha would have done. In fact, Buddha would have already been friends with the priest, the high priest Caliphat, or, or um, Caiaphas, that's his name. And so uh, go to Caiaphas and point out that, hey, man, this is the temple, and you're in charge of the temple. Why do you let the bankers in here? Why don't you put them outside over in the corner over there? You can still get your cut of the action. Just don't have it here in the holy place. And Jesus could have done it that way. But oh no, he had to think, oh, I'm going to do this myself. I'm the boss here. I can do this. And that happened in the start of the week. And by the end of the week, he was nailed right up. They didn't, they didn't put up with it. So when you look at the events about really what happened, it's actually a very good idea to listen to what Jesus has to say, because what he had to say fits really well. Okay, here's an example of that that makes him really kind of look like a Buddhist monk, and that is is that the foxes of the field and the birds have their nest, and the foxes have their uh, nest and uh, burrows in the field, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. Voila, he's a vagabond. He's a bhikkhu. Mm-hmm. And then we could go to the other part about it, about the lilies of the field gilding themselves when plain dress will be okay. When, sorry, the connection is getting know, quite Don't bad, you know the, 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 the parable of the uh, lilies in the field? No, I have heard of it, but you need to remind okay. me. Well, the lilies of the field are okay as lilies. They're 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 not dressed dressed yeah. up in fancy clothes. That's it's the story fine about as that. They are. They're just okay like they are. There's other things that are quite intuitive, or let us say, telling, if you understand, and that is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the Christians have been waiting for 2,000 years. Right now. Right, at hand, here it is. This is it. At hand means right here, right now. Yeah. 
the connection they I think got really bad. Now it connection's quite poor now. It says poor connection here. Okay, well that poor connection is not on uh, on this computer, so it's possibly on your end because the connection here is quite good. Mm. Let me try something a minute. Let me just, I'm going to move a bit. We're going for a now, walk. If you're, I'm going for a walk. All right. If you're on Wi-Fi, it may be good to get closer to the router. If you're anywhere near. That's uh, what I'm doing. That, that's what I'm doing. There we go. Right underneath. Right. Right. Okay. So. The internet here is good. Okay. There go. All right, so you've got that. All right, well, we were talking about Jesus and talking about some of the parables that he told, which mm -hmm. puts him, if you listen to the things that Jesus actually said and people begin to follow that, and another, here's another example that he wanted this group to sit up with him and watch all night. But they fell asleep. They weren't able to stay up with him. But what he was doing was he was performing a known ceremony. We know about this, to sit up all night, to watch. What do you think Anapanasati or being mindful is? It's being watchful. And the Christians, they, I mean, they just blow right past those lines. They don't have a clue about what be, uh, Jesus said when he's talking about sit up and watch with me. And so there's a whole lot of stuff in there uh, that, that shows um, some real wisdom. And, and it must have been that he really did impress the people who were around him. And so a lot of magical stories got built up and more and more and more magic was added on. But the original wisdom was there. Now, the question in, in that regard, this is another one of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasu, now that we're talking about it, because um, the question is, where did Jesus get his stuff? Was he a Buddhist? And Bhikkhu Buddhadasa says, not necessarily because he's actually too far away from Buddhism. What he's saying is wisdom, but the truth, the absolute real truth is available to anyone. Even the Buddha said that. He found an old path and rediscovered something that had been known long ago and forgotten. Well, if Jesus can, I mean, if Buddha can discover it, then perhaps it was discovered in um, uh, the Mediterranean. That's Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's position. And so I've done a lot of universal kind universal of, truth. Mm -hmm, real universal truths. I don't believe it. <laughs> because I've done so much research to say, you know, there were Buddhists there. The likelihood of him getting the wisdom that he got, it could have been filtered down through several generations and several groups, but the, but the touch of the wisdom an example of that is the Essene. 
or the Essians, depends upon how you say it, nobody knows, uh, that were from an earlier time than Jesus. But if you look at their um, uh, the ruins of that place, knowing that they were probably Jewish, but they lived like bhikkhus, like Buddhist monks. They did everything like that. Uh, and so um, there's also the group in Alexandria, which we know that were, uh, in fact, healers. And the name of this group, we have been passed down into our uh, English language. The word therapy and therapist comes from this healing school in Alexandria called Therapeute, except that the word Therapeute is exactly the same thing as Theravada, with the Thera being the elders. And this was a known school, and that it did exist in the time of Jesus. And they said that Jesus was in uh, Egypt, so maybe as a child he made a connection with this group. We don't know a lot of information, but we do know that there was a lot of uh, interplay, intercommunication. That we know that Alexander the Great came to India and then left India. But the story is, is he got his tail handed to him in India by Ashok, who was the Buddhist emperor of the time. Now, I don't know exactly what's going on. That would be an interesting way of, of research of how did Ahsok become emperor unless he had a real battle or a real war to wage, and it could have been the invading army of uh, Alexandria, because this is exactly the same time when uh, Buddhism shows up with art. Statuary. With art. With art. Because mm. before this time, there were three symbols of the Buddha. One was the Dhamma Chaka, the wheel of the Dhamma. Mm -hmm. The other symbol of the Buddha was the Bodhi leaf. Mm -hmm. Still common. The third one is the picture of a tree with a seat under it. Mm -hmm. A sitting place. So these were the original. Mm -hmm. But now we have, look at all these Buddha Rupas. We have fat Buddhas, we have thin Buddhas, we have starving Buddhas, we've got standing Buddhas, we've got Buddhas on Vendabad, we've got all of this art. Where did it come from and when did it happen? The answer is 2nd and 3rd century BC. That's where it comes from. At the exact time when Alexander was in India. So around about 250 years after the Buddha's death, something like that. Or maybe like that. 150, 150 to 200 years after yeah. the Buddha's yeah, They have yeah. it. Now they look at the, the most likely death of the time of the Buddha was 407 B.C., 47 to 411. For a long time they had it calculated as about uh, 486 B.C., but that looks more like the time that he was born, not the time that he died. Mm -hmm. So that time there, that's that difference. It's not 250 years. It's more like 150 to 170 years. Okay. And they're okay. basing that on old documents, or is that archaeological evidence? We, we know absolutely that uh, Emperor uh, Sok came to power in 311 B.C. We know it, which was right. just... 
200 or 100 years exactly at, so he was a young man 100 years later uh, where all of the stuff we find in um, uh, archaeologically digging up and all of the, uh, the stuff like that happened about 270 BC in that range in that neighborhood of time mm. which was also about the time that all the statuary so maybe the Greeks brought statuary a soap got a load of it and liked it. And so statuary started showing up during that period of time. Mm -hmm. Wow, have we gotten way off of comma. Yeah. So let's, get, <laughs> let's get back to comma, because uh, it's got an end point that I want to get around to. First off, it means action. It means behavior. And we can see that the determination of the good behavior or the bad behavior often has to do with the results, not the act itself. But we can point at things that we know will generally have a better possibility of a good outcome. Things like generosity and gratitude. Those are behaviors that generally will get a good result. Not guaranteed. No guarantees. Okay, that's the problem with our behavior is, is that, um, and, and so that gives us the point, this is really good. This is another talk I had with Vicky Buddhadasa when I mentioned to him about meditation, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And that's when I got the wake up call immediately. He says, no, when at first you don't succeed, look at what you're doing. Now, if you think about it, doing if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, is the way of the Western mentality. You got to struggle with it. And if at first you, you also, don't succeed, try something completely different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's do a Monty Python on this. Now let's do something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but if we do the same thing over and over again, expecting a new result, some people claim that Einstein said that that was the uh, definition of um, uh, mental illness or uh, crazy. Yeah. Was to keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a new result. Well, we do that with meditation a lot. A lot of students practice meditation, hoping that someday they'll get a result out of it. But things don't work like that. So let's look at it. In fact, the Buddha had four kinds of karma. We have talked about the first three. One is, is that there are good, result, good things that happen, or let us say that we do, that create good results. There are things that we can do that would be bad behavior because we know that the results are going to be bad, like drinking poison. We know the result of drinking poison. And it doesn't have to wait until we're after dead to kill us. <laughs> it's going to kill us right after we drink it. So now we understand this whole idea of that comma has nothing to do with great distant futures we can also see that there's another kind of comma and that is mixed 
that bright yeah. and dark actions give a bright and dark result. Possibly the craziest one of all is, is that the people of Israel, who really like the country of Israel, can give credit for the formation of Israel to Hitler. Because <laughs> <laughs> because of okay, you know, like so, because he, because Hitler created the Holocaust, and it was the Holocaust that was the resultant um, uh, cause that uh, that brought the British government and others into the formation of the nation of Israel. Yeah. Like okay. That. All right. So, was the genocide a good action or a bad action? Okay, yeah. The answer to that is that's the wrong question. It happened. And a lot of the people that it happened to didn't like it. And when we think about it happening, we don't like the thought of it happening to us. But we do understand that all action gives, or almost all action gives mixed results, or we don't know the outcome of that action. Okay, so uh, any action that's mixed will have a mixed result. Any action that's purely good may not give a purely good result. But there's a fourth kind of comma, and that's the kind of comma, the kind of behavior or action that is neither bright nor is it dark, and it leads to results that are neither bright nor dark. And then it's got a punchline, and I'll save the punchline for a minute. Okay. What do we mean, first off, by uh, uh, action that is not dark? Well, if we're at that level of wisdom so that we recognize uh, dukkha and avoid it, by avoiding dukkha, by our behavior avoiding dukkha, we're not creating any bad actions. Therefore, the results that we get from our actions will not have an effect, negative effect upon us because we have a pure mind. Okay? So the, the, uh, the non-dark action will give a non-dark result. And the non-bright action will also give a non-bright result. What do we mean by not bright? Well, what we mean by that is that we don't want anything from it. A really close, easy example is making merit, putting money into the offering plate. In Thai, it's called tambun, and the word tambun literally means to make merit or to make good by what? Sai bat, putting something into the, uh, to the pot when the monk comes by. All right? So this is the, what we would consider a good action that would then intentionally we want to bring about a good result, a better life next time. When we get out of that magical thinking, we stop doing things for long-term benefit results, and we start behaving for what we know about right now. Or we can open things up in the sense that we still don't know, but one of the things when Buddha was asked, why does he teach the Dhamma? He would say, for the benefit of future 
generations. In other words, he's not even looking for the results now. That whatever happens, that's off into the future, but that for now, there is no <clears throat> right or wrong. That we just behave wisely and we don't try to make merit in order to get some result. That we can find our joy and our pleasure right here, right now. Also, we're not going around harming, therefore we're not going to have to, to uh, deal with the results of that kind of action. Now let me give you the whole show. Uh, action that is neither bright nor dark gives results that are neither bright nor dark, but do lead to the end of karma. Action that leads to the end of action. Behavior that leads to the end of behavior. Right. This is a really important concept. Action yeah, that leads struggling with. to Action leads to the end of action. If it's good, if it is neither bright nor dark, giving neither bright nor dark results, it leads to the end of action. An example of that is that right now you really need to go to town. So you get up and you go to town and you go shopping and you buy something, and et cetera, like that. All of that action. But now let's come back and start over again, and I'm sitting here, and I don't need anything. If I don't want anything, you see, I took action to go to the store, to drive, to go to town because I wanted something. And when I bought it and had it in my hand, that was a good action led to a good result. Except that my going to town may have not led to the good result. I could have gone to town, bought that item, got it home and it's broken. Or gotten to town and town didn't have what I wanted. So the good action of going to town to buy a pig, and there's no pig in town. <laughs> and so we can't guarantee that our good results give, uh, or our good action gives a good result. But we can guarantee that if I don't take any action at all, that comes from the fact that I don't want to try to get a result. And if I'm satisfied right now with how things are, then that's free from wanting to go to town. And so I wind up doing less. And so the further we progress on the spiritual path and the more and more we see that we're trying to do a right action to get a right result, because there's sometimes that we want to do that. For, uh, the, let us say it's like this. The difference between selfishness and altruism. That if I give my money away to someone, I have no control over it anymore or the benefit other than me watching what's going on and if I like it, I'll feel good and if I don't, all right? So we begin to lose control over the action. But if we've gotten to the state of, we don't want anything, that we're satisfied. Now we can begin to do actions for the benefit of others, because we're not concerned about whether they're getting benefit out of it or not. This is like the Buddha saying, why does he teach the, the Dhamma? He teaches for the benefit of further generations, of 
new generations without having to say, oh, well, I'm teaching right now because I want 20,000 followers, or I'm teaching right now because I want to start a university, or I'm teaching right now because I want to get on Fox News. All right? No, we're not teaching for that. We're teaching just to let it out, to teach it for future generations. And we don't have a clue about that. So the one's private life then comes with the only actions that we're taking are for the benefit of others. Because for myself personally, I'm good. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to do anything to take care of mistakes that I've made because I didn't do any mistakes in the first place. I didn't do anything at all. <laughs> and so in this regard, it begins to spin into non-action. And that the, uh, um, the Zen really are good with this. In fact, Bouchot, uh wrote a haiku that I like very much. No place to go and nothing to do and the spring comes and the grass goes by itself. You see, he was bought on. No place to go. You repeat that. Okay, it's, it's a Japanese haiku and I'm translating it to, uh, some people translate it as just sitting here, but I like the better one uh, of nothing to do. Nothing to do, no place to go, the spring comes, and the grass goes by itself. The grass does not need my help, <laughs> and the spring did not uh, need uh, my help. Uh, There's really nothing to do. And, and we take that attitude, we can just simply enjoy the moment. Yeah. Because you can count on there's going to be something that happens in your mind, and then you want something, and then you will spring into action later. But for right now, while we're mindful, we can recognize that there really is nothing needs to be done. I'm good. I'm satisfied. I am free from dukkha, and I don't have to do anything to get free from it. Now, when I first started, in fact, years into uh, Buddhism, the idea of the, of the Four Noble Truths, almost no one ever spoke of the Third Noble Truth. And in my magical thinking, I got to the idea that all that means that anybody that I talk to doesn't know what it is, or that it's so advanced that I'm not ready for it, so teachers don't talk about it. Really what's going on is, is that the Third Noble Truth should be immediately available to you. You should see that dukkha and come out of it and be in that state of freedom from suffering. So that third noble truth is like the end of action. That's the arrival point. We've gotten ourselves cleaned out. We're free now. Nothing more to do. But as I was mentioning before, a lot of the problem has to do with the translations of the suttas. And so dukkha does not mean suffering, nor does it mean struggle. It just means that things are unsatisfactory at a very, very small place. That level of feeling. The feeling, I like it, therefore I want it. 
or the level of feeling I don't like it and I want to get rid of it. And that grows in into anger or it grows into lust if it's ignorant. If it's wise, then we don't have to take action based upon those feelings. So you're saying that it's the difference between a feeling growing from a very small seed into something, in, into dukkha, yeah? Into an emotion, or, right. Or will we just leave that seed dormant? Or inspect it. Not necessarily leave it dormant, but rather just to inspect it, to, to have wisdom of it, to recognize, oh, there it is, I want something. And then I can say, but I really don't. I just like it. Let me give you an example of this. And I teach, I use this example when teaching Paticca Samapada, but we're teaching it now. And, and um, the story is between Achan Cha and uh, Achan Sumedho, but he wasn't an Achan yet. This was when uh, Sumedho was still a, about a 10-year monk. And they had gone to um, uh, a, a ceremony at the Wat. And it was more than likely a Katen ceremony because that's the ceremony when all the teenage girls and all the young women get all dolled up as best they can because they're out husband shopping. <laughs> and they were brought to the temple by their mothers who have already been nudge, nudge, wink, wink about each other's kids. One of them's got a boy in the what and the other one's got a girl. And so this is where marriages are arranged. So this is the kind of event that it is. And so Achan Chai asked Achan Sumedho, what do you think? And Achan Sumedho comes back with Patitya Samupada in great headlines. He says, I like it, but I don't want it. In other words, wisdom at the point of contact. Yeah, I like it. These girls are pretty. They work really hard to get really pretty, but I don't want it. I don't know. I don't want it. <laughs> but you see, if we are not wise at that point, I like it becomes I want it. Which becomes, I wonder where she lives. <laughs> which leads to trouble. Which leads then to trouble, wanting something we don't have. Okay, so that's the, so look with, uh, remember that. That's such a beautiful quote. I like it, but I don't want it. Right. Because that's wisdom at the point of contact. And see, for, for men yeah, the point are, of contact, yeah. Uh -huh, right at that point of contact, when we see that girl, recognize that we like it. She worked really hard to make herself beautiful. And i got to give mm. her that. Okay? And, and she made herself beautiful because of all of the cultural, psychological stuff that we've got going, right? She's waving that flag out there. Okay. So he did. He didn't. He likes it. But did he really get to the point of enjoying it? Um. Well, Why we can enjoy the sight. We can like yeah. the sight, enjoy the sight, but then it's over. So we don't yeah. have to pursue. 
We don't have to go after it. We don't have to want it, nor do we have to take actions to go get it. Now, in the Pali, we're talking about Vedana, the feelings, give rise to uh, tanha, which is thirst, which is the wanting or the desire, and we don't desire her. We don't let it go to that part. We just like it. Yes, yeah, so Vedana is the first stage. Mm-hmm. And that's when you're trying to catch it there. Ideally. That's the right, right, ideally. Because, because we'll eventually catch it someplace, but at that source of the feelings arising, that's the sweet spot. That's the one. And this the is second where opportunity... Could... Yeah, and the second opportunity is that uh, is it, it uh, Tanaha? Well, there's there's various levels of time, and you can see that in operation in a bar fight. When does a bar fight end? You know always how it gets started with words, and then somebody mm. stands up, and then somebody else stands up, okay, and then they approach each other, okay, and all the time any one of them could have woken up. To, let's not go here. This is going to get really, really bad. <laughs> this is getting dangerous. But neither one of them do because they're into it. And so this tanha brings about the conflict. Now, after the conflict started, when are they going to wake up? Are they going to wake up before one of them's in the morgue? Are they going to wake up before the weapons come out? Hopefully somebody else in the bar is awake enough they're going to try to separate these guys before they hurt each other. And that will be the wake up. The guys who come and break it up. And sometimes you can see that when the fight is broken up, one guy says, wow, I'm glad you're here to break this up. And the other guy's just fighting like that, doing everything he can, not even realize that he's being restrained by his friends. So you know what I'm talking about. All right, so the question is, when do we wake up? The answer to that is the sooner the better. Because we can wake up after we've done some real damage. Or we can wake up in the heat of battle. Or we can wake up before the battle begins. Or we can wake up before the battle stage was set. Which is where we're talking about now. Back to the level of feeling. I don't like you, but I don't have to tell you <laughs> that I don't like you. <laughs> so this is an important point. That point of contact, why? Because it's the safest point for the beginning student. That's what we want to do. We want to wake up to our feelings. Later we'll go to the point of waking up how do these feelings get constructed. We'll wait for that for a later time because this one is the solution to the problem. The solution to the problem is waking up at the point of contact so that we can deal with these feelings when we're when they're very little. And we can make statements like, oh, I like it. She's beautiful. But I don't even want to know her name. I like it. But I don't want it. Don't want it. Okay. And so uh, this is um, a way of looking at our behavior because, in fact, in that in that world of dating, the behavior is set off by the desire. 
and the desire is get the goods, therefore I'm going to go do the good action of preening and uh, manly talk and all of that kind of stuff so that I can get the goods. I want it, okay? And so this is, in fact, behavior, pre-behavior, or the internal behavior. I like it, but I don't want it, gives rise to, now, the end of action. The wise action doesn't act, because <laughs> it didn't want anything. So the end of desire. The end of desire is by catching these feelings. I like it, but I don't want it. I don't like it, but I don't have to uh, uh, behave uh, like I don't like it. Because that's when we begin well, to... Go ahead. What's the uh, word for desire? Tanha. It is tanha. Tanha. That's that, 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 yeah. That's the and the closest word to it in English would be thirst. Because our mind is dry inside without it. We've got to have it. Tanha, we're thirsting. We've got to have it. The Vedana is the first contact, and that will lead you into desire. So mm -hmm. Snuff it out before the desire arises. Before the desire arises. Right. I like her, but I don't have to say I don't like her, because I do. I don't have to control mm -hmm. myself when I'm uh, liking her and wanting her, I can come to the point of I like her, but I don't want her. Let's stop it early. I don't have to get mm. to the point of I like her, but I got to resist because the tanha, we're thirsty. We want it. <laughs> we're already in it and we're almost driven by it. And so the next step then from the tanha is upadana. And the upadana means I'm going to take it. That's the really rough stuff. When that monk is sitting mm. on the platform and the little girl comes down and bows and scrapes and he grabs her by the arm. Uh, uh don't. <laughs> don't grab. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> well, that's what the ton, that's what upadana is. It's taking something. That's where that word dana, upadana means that we're taking it. It's not Donna given, it's Upadana. It's taking things that are not given, <clears throat> which is clinging. That's the word that we come up, Upadana is the word that gives us the English language word of clinging. I'm not really sure that that's the best word to use, but we've gotten used to it. What would you use? Mine. Mine. It's mine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. At least mentally, it's mine. I want her, she's mine. Yeah. Okay. So you can see many musicals and, and things like that. An example of that, um, Moulin Rouge. A musical yeah. has been done. Okay. And right at the end of the, music, uh, the musical, you know, you've got the, um, the guy who's writing the play, uh, who is in the play, the sitar player, 
and mm-hmm. that the uh, um, uh, the the guru or the warlord or whatever in the play is being played by um, um, Harold, but that the real guru is the backer, uh, the Duke, and both the guitar player and the Duke want. And so here's the guy with the the um, in in the audience, the backers in the audience, and when he sees that the guitar player actually does get the girl right there on the stage, that's when he grows, he gets his gun up, and runs down the uh, uh, the aisle, screaming, "She's mine!" Because he's already thought that this girl is his. Because everybody set him up that way because they basically were giving him, if you pay for our play and back our play, you'll get the starlet who is the star of the play. And so she's mine. That's that's the um, um, Upadana, the taking mentally. She belongs to me. That's why I use the word mine because I'm because that's the kind of word that we have. That's mine, you know. Yeah, and you're really lost then. We're lost then. In fact, yeah. that when we have that attitude, she's mine, there are four modes of clinging. And one of them, we're talking about just one night, uh, right now, the, the, the clinging that, uh, of wanting something that we desire and we make it mine, this is the state, the woeful state of the hungry ghost. The pizza. Yeah. You probably heard about it. What is the hungry ghost? Yes. The hungry ghost is one who cannot get filled. He can't get what he wants. She, even if he marries the girl, she still does not belong to him. She can't even control herself. How do you expect her to be in a position for him to completely control her so that he truly does trust that she actually does belong to him? Nope. It's all an illusion. This tanha, this thirst, gives us the opinion or the belief system that we own it. Mm. Ownership. Well, guess what? The problem with ownership is in order for something to be owned, it requires an owner. That's where the self comes in. They're the owner. The one who owns the object of desire. And so now we put together exactly the Paticca Samuppada in this regard is Pasa is contact, giving rise to Vedana, which gives rise to Tanha, which gives rise to Upadana, which gives rise to Baba, which is the becoming of Jati, the self. I own it. And that's what suffers. The I is what suffers. If we are altruistic, we don't suffer. When we're selfish, we suffer and we create suffering. An example of that would be your your brother or someone you've known for a long time uh, and you know him very well, he comes and he says, I need some money, please give me $500. Not too big, not too small, just $500. All right. If I say, okay, yeah, I can spare $500 and we'll talk later about when you pay me back. But here, yes, I... Um, I offer that I'll give you $500, everybody feels good. But if I have thoughts like, oh, wait a minute, I need that money, that's my money, then I'll tell him no, 
And I have already placed myself in a state of dukkha because I'm grasping and clinging to a $500 that I, is only a mental construction right now. And so I say no, and now my brother feels bad because he, you know, doesn't get out of jail or whatever he needed the money for. And so he's suffering too. If we say no in that in that state, but if we understand, I can feel good by giving him the money because I'm not losing the money. He's actually wanting to borrow it. <clears throat> and later, I may have to come to after he hasn't paid me back, I can now give him a gift to the $500 because now if he doesn't pay me, now he wants to separate, he wants to hide because he knows he owes me money. But if I forgive him from the debt, now I really do have a friend. But if we keep saying, no, you can't have it, then we're making ourselves suffer as well as we're making our friends suffer. And it's mind, it's the self that causes it, it's our selfishness. That the reality of the situation is I probably got an extra $500 sitting around and I can, you know, I would not miss it. But the original thought is, $500, no! You know? Why? Because we think we're losing something rather than having an opportunity of really building uh, deep friendship. And so by knowing this sequence of events, we can come up to say, there's no reason for me to cling to things that are, by clinging to them, going to cause me and other people suffering. And so at that rate, that so that's at a later time. But if we had woken up to uh, the feelings that we had when he first asked for $500, we could have molded over and, and said yes immediately. It was, I said no, because of the original reaction of loss. I'm losing something. I don't trust him or whatever like that. Okay? So now we're understanding this stuff happens really fast in the mind. Almost within mm -hmm. one or two, three seconds. It's very, it's very intrinsic to the human condition, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so mindfulness at the point of contact, or sati at that point of contact, when he actually asks for the money, that's the time for being wise. How do I feel about him asking money? Because if I know how I feel about it, I can manage it wisely. I might, in fact, need to manage it wisely so that I don't give him the money and we both feel good anyway. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, telling, yeah. But telling him just flat out no and everybody feels bad. Mm. So this is, enough, this is the way of... Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say... You, you, your brother might spring this uh, request of five hundred dollars on you, and you think about it. Yeah, but I've got a bill that I have to pay, and if I don't pay that, then we're going to be evicted for the house. So we need to think in another way about this uh, in order to come right, up with a satisfactory see, the, solution. Right. Those are the original ideas. Oh, I need that money. That's the first immediate reaction. Mm. I, I, mm. I, I. I need it, okay? 
But if we come to it like you were mentioning, we, we can work this out. Mm. Mm. Now we're being altruistic. Now we're not being so selfish. Now we're not causing mm. uh, dukkha. We can find a way of satisfactorily coming to a nice conclusion. Mm. All right, so this is kind of, I didn't think about it like that, but we, this has actually been a kind of a mini-teaching of the Paticca Samuppada, of how the mind actually works. But we were going from it to it from the angle of not doing anything, to wake up and say, wait a minute, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to yell no at him. I can sit here and not do and think about it. Well, hello, hello. <laughs> hello. Hi. I'll find you soon. Pardon? Oh, you, you might not hear. I'll find you soon. Can you hear? I see too far. <laughs> Hello. Hi, can you hear me now? Hello. <laughs> yes, I can hear you. Okay, good to good. see you. I'll phone you soon. You too. Hope for you to call me soon. We're just about finished up. We've been at it for an hour and a half now. <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> All right, I'll let you finish. Okay. <laughs> keeping you a long time <laughs> it's good to see her again I hope that she calls soon so this has been an interesting uh, talk that we've had today covering several of the topics of, uh, of the Buddha including the fact that now we know that there are four kinds of action or four kinds of behaviors or four kinds of karma the kind of karma that is good and gives a good result, and there are a lot of those. Mm -hmm. Okay, parking the car could be a good behavior. Leaving it out on the street, we don't know. Okay, so the whole idea then is, is that it's immediate, or the actual behavior itself doesn't have to wait for years or centuries for you to get the result. The results are immediate. So generosity, we want to be generous with people, so they get the benefit of the generosity, and I get the benefit of their gratitude immediately. Okay, so um, looking at it from, from that position, there are good behaviors. It could be possibly said that the Buddha didn't even say that, that those exist, but they do. But in fact, if we said that no behavior was good, giving no results at all, then that would be the kind of wrong view to where I could go off and harm anybody that I wanted to and never have any results. No. Nihilistic. Right. This is not nihilism. This is reality. The reality is some act, but it's not magical. That's the better part. It's real, but it's not magical. There are good behaviors that give good results. There are bad behaviors that give bad results, but mostly our behavior is mixed and gives mixed results. It's got mixed motivations, and the results have to do with the opinions of people based upon how mm -hmm. they feel. 
okay? Mm -hmm. And so in that regard, there's really no good or bad anyway. There is no bright or dark. And when we begin to understand that, okay, my actions are not good or bad, they're not bright or dark, and the results of my actions are neither good nor bright or dark. And when we begin to see that, we stop acting so often, because we can recognize that a lot of our action is of little value. Mm. do nothing. Yeah, just to sit and do nothing, which would be then, why should I sit here and think about all my troubles and all the things I've got to do when I can sit here and do nothing instead and enjoy the moment? Whatever job there was to be done, it's already been done now. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> so it is. In this moment, the only job there is to do is to clean the hindrances out of the mind, which means yeah, clean the desires, yeah. clean the things that you want, clean all your jobs to do out of the mind, and now that's the job to do. So once we clean the jobs out of the mind, now we've done all the job we needed to do was to stop having jobs to do. Stop wanting things. Stop having all of this thirst, this tanha. That's the job. And the real job to do is to stop having jobs. Mm -hmm. so we, did you say there were four types of kinds of karma? Yes. Let me go through them again. Good action. Let, let me start. So, Go ahead. Yeah. Good action gives good results. Um, we had... Um, the opposite. Uh, bad action is giving bad results. Yep. And then we had um, actions which are neither good nor bad, giving results no, that are a, neither no, good that's nor bad. Fourth. No, that's the fourth one. I'm the third skipping. one is both. Let's do it this way. Yes, no, both, and neither. Yes. Yes, no, no both, neither. and neither. Okay, yeah, I like that. I like that. That's really good. Okay. There's, there's actually six ways to answer the question. Yes, no, both, neither. Uh, the next one is I don't know, and the last one is who cares, or it doesn't matter, or it's irrelevant. But in this regard, for the four kinds of comma, it's yes, no, both, and neither. Okay. So there are six is ways to answer. Go ahead. Is that in the suitors somewhere? Yes, it is, in fact. I don't know where. Um, but it's in there someplace. Yes, no, both, neither. And in fact, where this comes from is not from the suttas of themselves. This comes from ancient Vedic logic. Oh, okay. Okay, so the six ways to answer a yes, no question is yes, no, both, neither, I don't know, and it's irrelevant. I don't care. I don't know, and I don't care. Yeah. 
So that's number five and six. I don't know is five, and I don't care is six. But in this case, we do know, and that if we care, that's the same as good and bad and mixed action. So it's better to come back to that uh, neither. Neither is the right right answer to this question. And you saw how it fits precisely with Paticca Samupada in the sense that mm-hmm. if I have wisdom at the point of contact where I have these feelings that are most likely, if I behave ignorantly, is going to have some behavior that's going to have some result. But with wisdom at the point of contact, I can choose whether I need to act or not based upon what I really want, which is nothing at all. Therefore, there's nothing to act, there's nothing to do. No place to go, nothing to do. The spring comes, and the grass goes by itself. <laughs> yeah, until it comes to the point for action. Well, but that point comes for action is when you want something. Be careful about it. Be careful of what you want. You might get it. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think is what you get? <laughs> it is that way. Our mind is the forerunner. You can't act until you have the thought. You can't speak until you have the thought. The mind is the forerunner for everything. This was actually a discussion that the Buddha had with the, with the Brahmins on, because they had the idea that action, big, tough, heavy, like chiseling into stone, that words are like the beach, drawing in the sand, and that the mind is like writing in the air, or writing on the water. It's of no value. It's gone immediately. As soon as you write it, it's gone. In the sand, your words don't last very long. But if you do something, it's chiseled in. This is the Brahmin way. And the Buddha says, nope. You got it all upside down. You're not even going to take any action until you have a mental thought about it first. That the mind is the forerunner. Mm-hmm. If you can't think it, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What you think is what you get. No thought, no getting. <laughs> no thinking, no getting. Exactly. Isn't that marvelous? That's that's the outcome. When we stop thinking, then we stop getting the things that we thought we wanted. Because we become content with what we already have. Mm. 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 And everything just settles down. Everything settles down. down. Just as it should be. Precisely. Things are all right already. We don't need any behaviors. We don't need any actions. We don't need any comma because things are already good enough like they are. That's that fourth kind of comma. The action that leads to action, to the end of it. Now, in practicality, 
how that would work in Anapanasati is uh, the action that leads to the end of action would be if we have the hindrances in the mind, then the mind is burning, it's spinning, it's thinking about the past, it's warning things, it's all of this kind of actions that are happening. The action that we would take to bring to the end of that would be the action of sati waking up, coming and paying attention to the here now, and by throwing that stuff out. Now we've taken a new action, but the action that we have taken puts us in this state of no action, and so it's the action that brought us to the end of action. That we can't expect the action or the dukkha or anything else to exhaust itself by itself, because we have this constant um, cause and effect system that keeps rolling on. So we actually have to take an action to yeah. put an end to the action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If uh, if the if the cops want all the trucks to stop, then the cops are going to have to take an action to get out in the road in front of those trucks to make them stop. Mm. Okay. Mm. The action that leads to the end of action is a law is a roadblock. A roadblock puts mm. the end of the action. So we're going to have our own mental roadblocks in there. We're going to stop that pathway of that old uh, traffic pattern of the mind. You say, wait a minute, you know, I'm going to go to the parking lot right now. I'm going to sit down and park. <laughs> and by turning the engine off with two... Pardon? Let's take ownership of this. Let's take responsibility for it. Let's yes. take hold of the controls. Yeah. Right. Because, in fact, what we thought who we were was that which was grasping and clinging. And so that self is, in fact, the self that everybody thinks of themselves. You're now beginning to understand, no, there's a new way of a self, the self that's wise, the self that's using the frontal cortex, not the self of the feelings, which is the anterior cortex. Mm -hmm. But the reality is there's really no self in there anywhere. It just feels like that there's this, um, let us call it the point of observation, feels like a self. Mm -hmm. Where it's not really a it's point of observation. It's very convincing. Yeah. It's a great special effect. I mean, I'm totally taken in by it. Uh, <laughs> Should I say me too? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've probably seen behind the screen, but... <laughs> well, you can too. You oh, can I do. Know. Yeah, or better, yeah, yeah. better, better still, you can see right through the screen. You don't have to. You recognize that the screen is there, and upon first view, you can't see through it. But if you start looking very closely, you can begin to see it. Here's an yeah. example of that. The discos used to have a disco ball, which is a bunch of mirrors glued onto a sphere that they would turn around and then shine lights on it, okay? Um, has has a stroboscopic effect. And so the whole stroboscopic effect is, is that it looks like stop motion or freezing things. 
But if you start observing the, ch the things that you can see, you can begin to connect the dots of the darkness. This is basically what we're beginning to do, is we can begin to, to make this connection so that we can see clearly that, in fact, we can't see clearly because there's all of this stuff happening back and forth, and sometimes we can see and sometimes we can't. That consciousness very much operates like that, and so does the self. Sometimes the self is not there. And then the ball comes around and the light shows and we can see, and then we think that the, ball, that the self is there. And then the ball spins and now it's in darkness, and now we think, uh, well, there's got to be a self in there someplace, because I just saw it, and when, when, now there's not. And then the light comes back on and we say, aha, I was right, there is a self. This is the voidness. The and really, the, is the voidness. We're not looking at the void. We're not looking at the in-between. We're not recognizing that really everything is, is void of a self. That there is no inherent value in anything other than humans give things value. Which is what Hartwood of the Bodhi Tree was all about. What was that? The Bodhi Tree? Which is what which is what Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree was all the about. Heartwood, yes, yes, yeah. that's exactly right. I'm kind of using that as a bit of a reference. I know that book well. Well, did I, I get inside read it out of again now? <laughs> Pardon? I need to read it again now. I've read okay. it once. That's the kind of book that takes us several rereads. Yes, absolutely. All right, Robert, well, let's draw this to a close now. This has been a delightful time. I'm glad that you put up with my comma and the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> Now's Lovely the end of talking it. to you. Yeah. Great <laughs> uh, right appreciation. <laughs> and uh, we'll speak again soon, I hope. Okay, Thank we'll you. see you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye, Lau. Bye-bye, Lau. Bye-bye, Lau. Bye. -bye, Lau. Bye, -bye, Lau. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>